Good morning. To begin this morning, I wanted to tell you a story. Uh, when uh, Kelly and I were dating, we decided that we wanted to go to New Zealand on a mission trip. Uh, I, had, I was just finishing up my freshman year, and she was just coming into her freshman year uh, at Freed Hardman. Uh, and so uh, we went with a group from Freed uh, to New Zealand to do mission work for two weeks. And I was very, very excited. This was my first time out of the country, uh, my first time really doing an overseas mission trip. Uh, and I was, I was excited, you know. Um, and so when the, the stewardess passed around the customs forms uh, on our flight as we were coming into New Zealand, um, they wanted to know if we were bringing in any kind of fruits or any kind of meats into their country that uh, that we shouldn't be bringing in, basically. Uh, and so I, being the picky eater I am, uh, had brought a lot, and I mean a lot, of beef jerky with me. <laughs> and so uh, when I saw meat on the customs declaration form, I thought, I've got to declare my meat. I don't want to lie, you know. I'm on a mission trip. And so uh, I declare... Uh, I've got I've got meat, and so when we get to the airport, uh, we're going through customs, and they got my customs customs form there, and the guy's looking at it. And he looks at me, uh, and he says, "Sir, we're going to need you to come over here." And I think, "Oh no, I'm getting pulled away from my group." You know, my group, 30 people from Fried Hardman, my my teacher, uh, and all of my friends are over there, and this strange person in a strange country is pulling me over to this strange section to do who knows what uh, and why am I being pulled over here well come to find out he had uh, been my, my uh, declarations form had been flagged because uh, I declared that I had meat and I didn't really have meat just a little disclaimer there when you go through the airport and you have uh, beef jerky you do not have to declare uh, that it's meat um, so anyhow uh, I'm frantic. My mind's running 90, 90 miles a minute, right? And I'm beginning to to, to panic a little bit um, because my, my group is going on through the customs um, lines and they're going to get done before I'm going to get done. And then what if they forget me, you know? And so my mind's, my mind's frantic, you know? I'm in the middle of this panic uh, and it's just my mind's all over the place. And we finally get done. Uh, the dude says, so it was just beef jerky? And I said, yeah, beef jerky, meat. <laughs> and he said, you can go now. And so, uh, so I left, and I get out of the airport, and my group is gone. They are nowhere to be seen. Uh, and so I run out of the airport. I'm, I'm 18 years old, maybe 19 at this point uh, in my life. Like I said, I've never been out of the country before. Um, but I, with my suitcase in hand, bust out of the airport doors, and I run about a quarter of a mile uh, away from the airport looking for my group. Uh, and they're not there. They're nowhere to be seen. And so my mind's still in this crazy panic. Uh, I run back the way I'd come, past the airport doors, and I run about a quarter of a mile that way. And there's still nowhere to be seen. And so my, now my mind really is in uh, an absurd panic. <laughs> uh, I'm about ready to cry. I'm so scared. And I finally sit down, and I think to myself, you know, I've got a couple hundred dollars. Uh, in my wallet, um, I know what I'll do. I'll just sit here uh, and wait for them to come back. In two weeks, my group's going to come back, and I'll be waiting on them right here and tell them, why did you forget me, you know? Uh, 
But when I looked up, I sat down and I looked up as I was thinking these thoughts and I see Kelly and our group leader coming through customs. I had I'd beaten them uh, all through customs. I'd actually been fast-tracked because I declared the meet. But my mind was in such a panic, I had forgotten all of that stuff. I was in such a frenzy, um, I just missed the, the most important thing um, that was there. You know, I had not gotten left. But my mind couldn't get that. Um, this virus, I think, has taught us some lessons. And I think at least one of those lessons is uh, that our lives were way too busy uh, before this whole thing came about. Um, I've talked to several of you uh, that are, are saying, you know, this virus has kind of pushed us back into the 1950s, 1960s. Uh, where we just spend a lot of time with our family. Uh, we spend a lot of time at home. Uh, we don't really go anywhere. We just, it's a throwback, you know, to, to a time, a simpler time maybe, a time where our lives were not so rushed. Um, and so I, I think maybe one of the things that this virus has taught us, if we can learn lessons from this thing, and I think we can and I think we should, what might be that lesson? Well, I think at least one of those lessons that we should be learning right now uh, during the midst of this virus is our lives were way too busy beforehand. Uh, we were running around like a chicken with our heads cut off, and we were doing a lot of things, right? Even doing a lot of very good things, but maybe we weren't making a whole lot of progress. Uh, and so throughout this lesson, that's kind of the picture I want you to see, um, is a chicken running around uh, with his head cut off. He, he's doing a lot of stuff, but he doesn't really have any intentionality. He doesn't really have any purpose. Uh, and so he's doing a lot of stuff. He looks really busy, but he's not really getting anywhere. Today I want to take you back to the Psalms. There's one word in Psalms, um, at least it occurs 72 different times in the book of Psalms, uh, three or four times in the book of Habakkuk, and once in the book of Kings. Um, but I want to take you back to the book of Psalms today, and we're going to dive into this word. We're going to explore it a little bit. Um, you can find that word here in Psalm chapter 3, verse 8, is its first occurrence in the book of Psalms. It says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. That, that last little word there at the end of your Bibles, maybe it's even in italics, uh, Selah, is what I wanted to focus on today. What does that word mean? You find it 72 times in the book of Psalms. It is inspired. Uh, God wrote that word there. He inspired the, the psalmist to write that word, to put it in there. And so it is important uh, and way more important than maybe what we've, we've thought in the past. And so what does this word um, mean? Well, salah means to pause. Uh, it's a stop. And for a long time, scholars have said, well, it's a pause in, in the singing. Um, the Psalms, the book that we know as Psalms, is actually Israel's songbook. Just like, just like we would have a songbook, um, the book of songs is... Uh, the book of Psalms is Israel's songbook. And so on a certain occasion when they wanted to uh, really uplift their hearts to God, uh, maybe it was a joyous occasion, they would turn to Psalm 150, you know, that, that was a psalm of praise. Um, 
So it is Israel's songbook. And so in the inspired text that we have here, preserved for us, you find this musical notation, salah, that means a pause. In the singing, you're, they're supposed to be quiet here. But this word, I think, means so much more than just that. At least there are some implications behind this word, behind this pause. Remember, this is not just a songbook. Uh, these are inspired words of God. And so when He tells you to stop, it kind of makes sense to stop, doesn't it? Um, in the midst of this psalm, as well as in 71 other occurrences in the book of Psalms, you find this word, Salah. And so, uh, it means to stop, but it means a little bit more than to stop. Uh, the background behind this word, the origin of this word, uh, is another word. Its root word uh, means to stop and weigh. Maybe we would think of to stop and inspect. Um, and so, think of uh, things that you inspect. Uh, I asked a question this week on Facebook. What do you inspect? What, what's something that you look very closely at? And a lot of people had a lot of really great uh, suggestions. Uh, I heard uh, people saying, well, I stop and inspect bills because I've overpaid and been overcharged for medical bills. Um, or my credit card statement has been uh, overcharged. Or there's been charges on there that I didn't spend, you know. Uh, or on your debit card. Uh, I've been getting calls over the last couple of weeks since this virus has hit uh, of, um, from my bank saying, hey, have you charged this amount at this place? And I've been forced to verify. And I have to go back at, on my online banking and look and see, yeah, I did. I did spend that there. Um, but it's forced me. I've inspected those, those things very closely. Uh, I heard a lot of people say eggs. You know, when you go to the grocery store uh, and you pick up a carton of eggs, uh, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? Well, if you're smart, <laughs> the first thing you do is open up the carton of eggs and you start kind of fingering around on those eggs, seeing which if there are any that are broken or not. You inspect them very closely, right? That's what this word means. Uh, it's a stop. It's a pause. But it's also an inspection. Uh, again, this word is used 72 times in the book of Psalms. This is an important word. Uh, every word of inspiration is important. Um, but this word is overlooked. We haven't paid this word as much attention as we should have because, quite frankly, we like to be busy. Uh, to our American minds, busyness is a sign of success. I don't think that's true necessarily, scripturally speaking. God in the Old Testament uh, gave His people a Sabbath, a, a day, a complete whole day uh, where they did nothing but rest. That was essential. He thought it was essential for them in the Old Testament. So certainly it's, it's necessary for us um, today just to be able to reset, to reboot our minds um, to, to be able to see some things that maybe we haven't focused on as much as we should have. Uh, and so, that's what we're talking about today. The book of Psalms is broken down into five different books and written across uh, a thousand year span period. Uh, so someone uh, has come back throughout history uh, and has compiled and edited these Psalms and put them in the order that we have today. 
many of these psalms that that are in, like say the the first book of Psalms is book uh, is Psalms one through verse uh, through chapter forty two. So Psalms one through forty two are what's known as the first book of Psalms. Usually, uh, most of those psalms are written by David as he's on the run from King Saul. You'll remember uh, this story, I'm sure, but Saul hates David. uh, And and David is forced to run from him uh, in the hopes of saving his life. David has done nothing wrong to King Saul. In fact, he has done nothing but do good to Saul. Um, David is actually Saul's son-in-law as well. Uh, as killing the giant Goliath, as well as being uh, Saul's uh, general and a champion in battles. He has won, killed thousands and tens of thousands even, uh, as what uh, the people of Israel would say when David comes back into the city right before Saul gets so jealous of him that he tries to kill him on multiple occasions. Uh, and so this, these psalms, a lot of them at least, are written during the time period as David is on the run from Saul during this decade, this 10-year time span of his life where he's on the, on the run from Saul. Now, you'll find um, many of the Silah passages are in Book 1. Now, that's kind of interesting, and I wonder why that is. But let's, let's fast forward a little bit to Book 2. Book 2 of Psalms is, uh, is Psalms 43 through 72. Um, and book 3 of Psalms is Psalms 73 through 89. Now, you're going to find in these three books, Psalms 1 through 89, you're going to find out of the 72 usages in the entire book of Psalms, you're going to find 68 of those occurring in the first three books of the book of Psalms. Psalms 1 through 89. Now, I wonder why that is. Why might you need to stop and inspect, stop and reflect if you were on the run from your father-in-law who you had done nothing but good to, who was supposed to be Israel's religious leader. Uh, he, he should have been the one that people were looking up to, uh, to show them integrity, to show them kindness, to show them love. Saul would have been, should have been, one of the men uh, who was a poster child for what God wanted out of people. He should have been completely in sync with God, right? He should have been thinking God's thoughts as much as possible. That's just not the case. And so when David is forced to run from Saul, he writes the first book of Psalms, at least many of these Psalms. And he includes in there... Salah, stop, pause, and, and think. So why would it be necessary for him to do that? Well, back up to Psalm chapter 1 for me real quick. Um, Psalm 1 is all about if you do, if you are in line with God's will, He will bless you. If you are His man, He will bless you. That's what Psalms, Psalm 1 is all about, essentially. Psalm 2 through 72 and really Psalms 2 through 89, are all about the exceptions to that rule. It's like the psalmist is saying, yeah, but 
Yeah, but bad things still happen to those of us who love God. And David, on the run from Saul, uh, who he had done nothing bad to, who he had only done good things to, is a prime example of that. David is exactly who he ought to be in God's eyes. Um, Saul is his enemy, or at least he's Saul's enemy. I don't think David would portray himself as uh, the enemy uh, of Saul. But Saul would certainly um, say that David was his enemy. Uh, And so this serves as a prime example for us uh, of one of these exceptions to the rule. Now, most scholars, and I agree, think that David wrote Psalm 1. And he is well acquainted with, even by the time he writes Psalm 1, that bad things still happen to people who are in line with who God would have them to be. And so, you need to take a second, just take a beat, and think through, well, why are bad things happening to me? And in the midst of my darkness, in the midst of my pain and grief, how, why should I continue following God? That's a valid question, right? And I think Psalms deals with that. And I think this word Salah deals with that especially. You need to take a second and think. Because just because in the midst of our grief, it looks like God has forsaken us. Is that actually the case? If you take the long view, like we were talking about last week with Lazarus, you'll see that he is still faithful to his people who love him and are called according to his purposes. Um, Even David, as he has aged uh, when he's an old man, will look back across the span of his life, including this 10-year on the run from Saul, and he will say, you know, I, I was young and now I'm old. I've never once seen the Lord's anointed forsaken. Um, people who love God, David says, I've never once seen them forsaken. Because now he can look back across that 10-year period, even in the midst of this darkness, in his 10-year period here, and he can see how God has delivered him and has grown him during this time period. You know what that takes? That takes time. That takes you stopping. That took David stopping and thinking, looking back, He needed a pause, and he needed time to reflect, right? We need that too. But that's just the first book of Psalms. So why do you find so many Salah passages in books 2 and 3 of of Psalms? That seems odd, right? Because these are not when a good king is on the run from a bad king. These are worship songs. Uh, book 2 was written uh, by uh, two, two men, mostly, uh, by the names of Heman and Ethan. Um, these are uh, sons of uh, Levi, appointed during David's day uh, to be the court uh, musicians. And these men uh, compiled, wrote songs uh, for the worship uh, in the tabernacle. Uh, and so, book three is their their third uh, compatriot. His name's Asaph. 
Uh, he's also going to compile and write worship songs for the same purpose. Um, and so why would you find so many Salah passages, passages, passages where you have to stop and wait, stop and reflect? Why would you see so many of these passages in worship songs? Well, if you're going to learn anything about God, you're going to have to do it little by little. We cannot grasp all of His grandeur. We can't wrap our minds and our, our arms around everything that He is. Certainly not, not all at once, and certainly not comprehensively ever. Uh, and so what we learn about God, we must do so little by little. And so in these these uh, Psalms uh, 2 through 89, you're going to find worship songs that are extolling God's greatness, His, His grandeur, uh, His power, but also there's some lament psalms, many lament psalms, where the psalmist will cry out in the midst of his darkness to God, feeling like he's been betrayed and asking for vindication. And then he'll say something like, Salah, pause, and think. If you're going to learn anything about God, you have to stop and think. Uh, you need a Salah, you need a, a Sabbath. A rest time where your mind can decompress and you can think. Like I said at the beginning of this lesson, we are kind of famous for running around like a chicken with its head cut off, doing a lot of stuff, even doing a lot of good stuff, but doing a lot of stuff in, in the giving the, off the image of busyness when we're not really getting anywhere. We don't really have any intentionality, any purpose behind our actions. At least most of us don't. Uh, we're, just, we're just running around looking busy. We need a moment, a season in our life where we can salah, where we can stop and think. That's, I think that's why these, these Salah passages happen so much in the first three books of Psalms. Um, because David needs time to wrap his head around and to understand why these things are happening to him. And how he can see God's deliverance come through that. In the second and third book of Psalms, you, you need time. You need a Salah, a stop and think period, so that you can uh, learn about God, so that you can grab hold of just a little bit of His mercy, just a little bit of His kindness, just a little bit of His power, of His sovereignty, of His kindness toward us. You need time to stop and think. Salah provides that for us. Um, so now we've been forced to stop. But what should we be inspecting? You know, like we said, this word means more than just stop. A pause is always good, right? Psalm 46.10 says, be still, pause. Be still and know that I am God. And so being still can teach us some things. But salah means so much more than just pause. It also means to inspect. And so during this virus, when we've been forced to stop... Should we not be doing the other side of Salah as well? 
Should we not be inspecting? I think that makes sense. We've been given an opportunity. Uh, it is a blessing in a big, ugly, bad disguise, but it nonetheless can provide us uh, with something good, a lesson learned. And so, as we've been forced to stop, we need to also start inspecting. What should we be inspecting, though? Well, I think what we should be inspecting is whether I'm in sync with God or not. That's a constant question that we see the heroes of faith in the Old Testament and the New Testament asking themselves. Am I thinking what God's thinking? You know, that was, that was Saul's problem, wasn't it? He was not in sync with God. But that's also what made David such a great man, a man after God's own heart. He was constantly trying to be in sync with God. You know, when things fall out of sync, we have some troubles, don't we? Think about uh, the last time your car got out of alignment. You, you realized it pretty quick, I bet. What if you're out of sync with your spouse? You can figure that out pretty quick too, can't you? What if your spending is out of sync with your bank account? Again, you figure it out pretty quick, don't you? Uh, if you are, when we're singing out of sync, if you're just one note, one step behind in the harmony, it sounds off, doesn't it? When we're out of sync in every other aspect of our lives, we realize it pretty quickly. For some reason, when we're out of sync with God, it flies under the radar, at least it can, if we're not paying very special close attention, if we're not focused on it, our out-of-syncness with God can fly right under the radar and we never even notice it. So today we're asking the question, am I living my best life? A lot of times we use that question to say, am, am I getting what I want out of life? Uh, am am uh, I successful? Is what I'm experiencing good? So maybe the picture that, uh, that comes up in your mind when I say, am I living my best life, is you sitting on the beach, it's quiet, uh, the waves are rolling in, and you're just enjoying life. Maybe, maybe that's the picture that comes into your mind when we say, are you living your best life? That's not the way I'm using it today. Um, I love beaches as much as the next guy. But when I say today, are you living your best life? I'm meaning, are you in sync with God? Or are you out of sync with Him? Uh, and so, I want to live my best life. And that means that I have to be in sync with God. We've got to stop and inspect our lives to make sure they're in sync with Him. If we ignore it, it's going to fly right, out of the ra right under the radar. And we're going to be out of sync with Him before we realize it. Let me take you back to a story that we've covered recently. The feeding of the 5,000. How, how could Jesus do that, Right? Well, he could do it because he wanted to. Um, he, was, he is God, and he can do whatever he wants to do. He wanted to accomplish it, so he did. He set about accomplishing it. It's just that simple. And so he's told me what I need to do to be pleasing to him. One of those things is evangelize. Um, and so 
today? If I, am I leading my best life? Am I in sync with Him on what He would have me to do? Am I talking to people about Him? In the midst of this thing, in the midst of this virus, where so much uh, anxiety is, uh, is running around, um, where there's so much unknown, am I saying to people, well, there's something that is known, uh, and you can know Him, and He can take away your anxiety. Um, am I focused on that? That's part of leading my best life. Uh, and if I am not, if I'm saying things like, uh, well, you know, I'm just, I just don't know enough uh, to be able to, to evangelize. That's just like when Philip said, Lord, not even 200 denarius would cover uh, the bill for, for enough for these people just to have a bite. And so, am I leading my best life? Am I encouraging others? Am I edifying uh, others? These are things that He's called us to do. These are not things that are, are um, up in the air. We know how He feels about these things. Uh, we don't have to wonder. He is, he's, he's been pretty clear uh, on how He feels about our evangelism, how He feels about our edification of others uh, and our encouraging others. These things are clear. Uh, and so if I say, well, that's just not something that I'm good at. That's kind of like, Andrew walking up to Jesus and he says, Hey, I've got this boy's lunch, but what is this among so many? Jesus fed the 5,000 because he wanted to. Because it was in sight of his will. Listen, the five loaves and two fish teach us that Jesus can work with whatever you've got. Uh, They did not have enough food to be able to accomplish this thing. But they brought what they had. When you bring what you have to Him, He can do some pretty incredible things through it. When we partner with God, all things are possible. When we partner with God, all things are possible. Now, there is one exception to that rule. Uh, I want you to be turning to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to find the exception to this rule. When we partner with God, anything is possible except... Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Listen to what happens here. Uh, They've had a very busy time during this time period. Uh, uh, Jesus has fed the 4,000. Peter has made this amazing proclamation uh, about Jesus. Jesus has been butting heads with the Pharisees and and the scribes. Time and time again, he's been teaching, he's been healing. Uh, (coughs) Excuse me, they've been traveling. This has been a very busy season uh, for Peter and the or for Jesus and the disciples. Right after Peter makes this amazing declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus has started talking about his death. He's going to be murdered, and Peter says, "No, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. Stop saying stuff like that." Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Now, the one exception to the rule that says when we partner with God, we can do anything, the one exception to that is when we're not focused on what God wants. The minute we diverge and start trying to go two separate directions, God wants this and we want this, it won't work. We're not going to be able to accomplish anything. 
we're actually getting in His way of accomplishing His will. Listen again to what Jesus told Peter. You are a hindrance to me. You're an obstacle. You're a hurdle. You're, 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 you, you've thrown a trash can in my way as I was walking. You're a hurdle, an obstacle. You're in my way. Because you're not thinking about what God wants, but you're thinking about what you want. You see, Peter was terrified, and as well as the rest of the disciples, that Jesus was going to leave them. And that keeps that, that's a concurrent theme in their lives. Um, they, they just did not want Jesus to go. They had finally found a teacher, a man that they trusted, that they relied on, and they relied on him heavily. And they just did not want him to leave. And so when Jesus starts talking about his death, he's going to be killed. Peter says, whoa, 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 that's not going to happen. I've got a sword. I'll find a sword. And we're going to protect you. You're not going to die. You're going to take over Jerusalem. Get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the thing of God, but on the things of men. Anytime we start trying to set up our own kingdom... Anytime we start trying to focus on ourselves, we throw an obstacle in God's path. We need to stop and think about whether our lives are in sync with God. Because the only thing that can stop us when we partner with God is us. We are the only things that can stop us when we partner with God. Paul would make the, 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 the claim uh, for us, the declaration for us, that nothing can stand in our way, right? There, there's, there's not anything in this world, um, no, no power, no authority, not even Satan can stand in our way. But you can stand in your own way. I need time. And you need time to stop Salah, to stop and think, to make sure that we are in sync with God. If we don't take that time, we're going to be out of sync with Him and getting in His way of accomplishing what He would have us to do. Take this time, not only to just stop, but to inspect your life and to make sure that you're in sync with the Father.